everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 77 of the show, and we are diving into the final month of 1964. And you know, Mike, it seems like only 35 year, uh, episodes ago, <laughs> years ago, yeah. 35 episodes ago that we started diving into the final month of 1963. Uh, it does seem like years, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's been a while. Um, it's it's going to take like eight more episodes to get through this month, or how many? Three, I guess? Three, yeah, uh, three. Yeah. That's exciting, though. That's if we don't take time for Monsters to Laugh With number. So, oh, well, that one is really hard to cover because it's so detailed and full of information. But (laughs) So what year did we start? 61? The end of 61. Yeah. We have covered over three calendar months. I'm sorry, calendar years. One, two, three, four. Holy Hannah. Yeah. That's exciting. I don't know what 1965 has in store, but so far all this stuff has been escalating at quite a fun pace. So I imagine it's just going to get better and better. Yeah, well, if I just click the forward one year button, um, just look at the look at the look at the uh, December 1965, <gasps> the coming of Galactus. Oh, that take a year, a wow. year of comics to get to Galactus. Wow. And also, Craven's back, and Doctor Doom's back, and Daredevil's red, and and the origin of Nick Fury's eye patch. The origin of Nick Fury's eye patch. So he's going to have an eye patch because he hasn't had one yet. Nope. Wow. Lots of interesting stuff in a year. We're going to have Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, will be going by then. We're going to have Submariner and the Hulk in the same book. Yet yeah, no more Giant Man garbage. And they're not splitting the covers in half anymore. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um. The end Mill- of the Stan Lee run on X-Men. Millie is still modeling. Millie is, and Patsy Walker has a fashion parade. And Kid Colt is an outlaw. So. He is, he is. And um, that, the, that Spider-Man, he's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting that craven again. <laughs> All right, so, so yeah. But let's it's rewind. Been a, it's been a year. It's going to be a year. We're just cruising along here at Make Ours Marvel talking about Marvel Comics. And yeah. where are we starting today? We start with uh, we're starting with you and Thor. Me and Thor. You and Thor. Oh, this you, is that one. Okay, you are you are Thor, John. You are so Thor. Okay, so you know, and I know, and the listeners know that at some point, Don Blake is going to tell Jane Foster that he is in fact Thor, and here it is at last. The Thunder God reveals his true identity to Jane Foster, but wait till you see what happens when he does. Something inconsequential that reverses the entire thing. Oh, you wouldn't even suggest. (laughs) It can't be permanent. Because I thought this was when it, because it's going to happen at some point. I mean, yeah, I thought this was it. And it's, yeah. Well, at some point, Don Blake just disappears altogether as a thing, right? I mean, that's true. So how's that explained? This is a world gone mad, mm-hmm. starring the mighty Thor, a tale told with gusto by Stan Lee, a drama drawn with grandeur by Jack Kirby, an idyll inked with gallantry by Schick Stone, and a legend lettered with glee by Artie Simic. So um, we are riding back on Thor's massive skyship. Which mm-hmm. I think this might be the same Skliplodnir that he got from that one Dwarf King, like, way back in the day. 
Looks um, the same to me. Yeah. They have just had a battle against the demon men of Jotunheim. Again, we don't know who those Jotunheim people are called. I'm sorry, we didn't just have a battle. We are going to a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a big old battle. There's like fighting left, right, and center. And at the end of the battle, the Asgardians win. Odin's like, ah, yes, Thor, it's so good to have you back. You spent so long on Earth, and now you need to be my prince again and take care of your duties as the son of the king. And he's like, um, sorry, I got to go see about a girl. And Odin's like, what? And, <laughs> that is exactly um, what he sounds like in my head. Yep. So he uh, tells uh, Thor, fine, whatever, get out of here. Turn your back on Asgard. I don't care. And Thor's like, oh, my dad's mad at me again. So maybe I'm just not very good at being a god. In fact, you know what? This whole Thor thing is not nearly as cool as I thought it was going to be. What if uh, what if I just was never Thor again? <gasps> In fact, what if I was never Thor again and I married Jane Foster? <gasps> In fact, I'm going to go in there and tell her right now who I am. He lands on the rooftop, smashes his hammer, turns into Don Blake, goes inside, says, Jane, guess what? I am Thor. And she's like, oh, wait. We're going to have to find out what she is because it's a scene change. Um, She's gasping anyway. She is gasping. So people who are like, you know, digging up stuff they shouldn't be digging up. They find this statue of this man. And then the statue of the man comes to life and touches them. And they turn to stone because this is the gray gargoyle who um, has completely given up the whole turning back into human form. He's just stone all the time now. Uh, so he remembers his origin story, and then he like goes running around being the Grey Gargoyle. Back in Asgard, Loki sees Odin being so angry. My son, my favorite son, my rightful heir, giving everything up for a woman. And um, Loki's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just, I just wanted to say that I'll stand with you in this moment of betrayal. And Odin's like, oh, Loki, even though you're not my favorite son, you're pretty great. <laughs> And uh, in fact, you know what? You're so awesome that from now on, I don't even have a, son, a thunder god son anymore. There is no thunder god. And Loki's like, sweet. So back on um, Earth, Jane is like, no, you're not. He's like, yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Prove it. So he's like, fine. And Don takes his cane, smacks it against the ground, and... <gasps> Nothing happens because there is no more Thunder God. Don Blake does not turn into Thor. He's like, oh my gosh, what the heck even is happening? And at that point, the gray gargoyle comes to Don Blake's office because he knows that Don Blake is connected to Thor somehow. He breaks through the window and Don's like, Jane, get out of here. And he fends off the gray gargoyle by throwing stuff at him until he runs out the door. He's pretty, pretty spry for a lame guy. Um <laughs> He and Jane go down the elevator, but the gray gargoyle busts open the doors and grabs the cables of the, of the elevator, turns them to stone, which breaks the elevator. So um, Don, Blake, and Jane get out of the elevator, and they run away. Um, back on Asgard, the warrior's like, dude, Thor, we got to go help him. Because, like, like, King's really mad at him this time, and so we should really help him out. So Balder um, grabs a horse, and Loki's like, um... Where are y'all going? I have battle orders for you. You can't ever forget that with Thor in disfavor, it's Loki who speaks for our monarch. So you have to obey my every command. And they're like, 
fine, whatever. Um, but somebody secretly rides off on a horse. Back on Earth, Greg Gargoyle is totally wrecking stuff up. Don and Jane are totally running from him. There's an arrow shot out of nowhere that, like, turns into a flare and blinds the Greg Gargoyle, which allows Don and Jane to get away just long enough to get into their car. But Greg Gargoyle jumps from the car, turns the car into, um, 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 stone. Don Blake jumps out of the car and somebody reaches down and grabs Don's wrist and says, Thor shall live again. You have 30 seconds. Make it count. And so Don smacks the hand, uh, uh, cane, turns into Thor. Gargoyle, you've been searching for Thor, and now you have found him. And as Thor, he fights the gargoyle and uses, like, the electricity from a streetlight through his hammer to um, electrocute the stone of the gargoyle and melt it so that he, like, fuses into, like, this weird statue thing. And um, Thor's like, huh, oh, wait. The 30 seconds are over. I'm weak. I can't be Thor any longer. So back in Asgard, Mysterious Horseman rides up and and uh, um, who guards the bridge? Um, Heimdall. Heimdall, yes. Heimdall. Heimdall's like, okay, dude, how'd your, how'd your mission go? Did you find Thor? He's like, it went fine. I got to find Odin. Turns out Odin had sent Honir the Hunter to go and help Thor because he still had a soft spot in his heart for Thor. Um, and he has uh, relinquished his anger. So Don Blake can once again turn into Thor if he wants to. He goes to see Jane. He's like, okay, Jane, I'm, I'm, I'm over the whole I turned into Thor thing. I, I was just I, I was just crazy. I'm sorry. Thor showed up. He saved us. And um, I'll never pretend to be Thor again. And she's like, fantastic. I don't know why you'd want to be Thor anyway. You're Don Blake. That's pretty great. The end. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. This was a fun story. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember... The first gargoyle story, didn't Don Blake ultimately stop him on a motorcycle with a hollow projector that he borrowed from Tony Stark or something like that? I do remember Don on a motorcycle with a hollow projector showing Thor in the air. Is that how he stopped the gargoyle? So maybe the gargoyle thought Thor stopped him anyway. Because in this whole issue, he's all upset and wants to find Thor to get revenge. And he remembers Don Blake is connected to Thor, so he attacks Don Blake. But I was thinking, shouldn't he be upset at Don Blake? Isn't Don Blake the one who... Knocked him into the water, but maybe he doesn't know that. I can't remember. Yeah, I did not go back and look. I didn't either. Um, <clears throat> it's probably that he thought Thor did it because Don Blake projected Thor. That's what happened. Okay. I was so excited when I started this issue. Oh, I was like, geez, yeah. This art is amazing. But also just like the reveal. And, and the art around the reveal is really dramatic and really great. It's like 30 issues of this game between Don and Odin and Jane. And it's over, yay, oh, crap, no, it's not. Oh, that, yeah. I thought you meant the opening with the whole fight, the battle and stuff, because that was pretty phenomenal. That was pretty cool. That was pretty great. That was that was the most Asgardian that the lead story has gotten. Uh-huh. And Jack Kirby just really shined on it, too, I think. It's just it's amazing. So Odin wants Thor to be done with his time on Earth. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting in light of the retcon that he sent Thor to Earth in the first place. So he's basically saying, Thor, you're no longer exiled. And uh-huh. Thor says no. Yeah. So here, again, I wish I kind of didn't know that the whole Don Blake thing is a made-up phenomenon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because I always try and wrap my brain about how this works when I'm reading these early stories. 
Okay. But like, you know, initially Don Blake was Don Blake and Thor was Thor. Or Don Blake was Thor. We never could figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like it, was it Don Blake and Thor's body? Or was Thor, Thor, and Don Blake, Don Blake? Or a combination of both? And it's been very muddled lately. Like, right. Like, like now the old just, Captain Marvel stories. Yeah. Now it's just all like, it seems like it's just basically Thor in two different forms. Um, but like when he offers to, you know, Thor, you should quit Earth and come back. It, at no point does Thor think, well, what about Don Blake's life? You mm. know? Because he just is Don Blake, so he doesn't think of things that way? Or how does this work? Because basically Odin is saying, like, don't ever go back. Don't ever share a body with Don Blake again. So Don Blake should just not exist. And now in the future, I know that that's because Don Blake isn't a real person anyway. But at this point, isn't he a doctor that would disappear if Thor stopped coming to Earth? Yeah. At this point, Don Blake is a life. Yeah. Even if it's a a made-up structure of a life, it's still a life. Yeah, and he doesn't seem concerned about that part, but that's maybe because he doesn't want to go back anyway. I don't know. There's no, uh, there's no talking about Don Blake. What's his, what's his role in all this decision making? Well, I guess it's just like you were saying. They're kind of the same mind split between two bodies, and he has mm-hmm. like a bit of a more human shape and a bit of a more Asgardian shape. But it's basically the same mind. Mm-hmm. So he is totally cool being Thor, except that he loves Jane. Right. So this whole doctor life is almost like a necessary evil to like have a life on Earth so he can be with Jane. Oh, yeah. Because otherwise, not why not just be Thor all the time? But Thor, you're right. Thor definitely does not have any concern for like his appointment book and like no. the patients that are coming in that depend on his care. And if he goes back to Asgard and doesn't do the Earth thing anymore, is Dad going to lift the whole thirty second curse, or does he have to hold his hammer the rest of his life? To not turn into a doctor when he's fighting, you know, the Jotunheim people or whatever. The demon men of Jotunheim out this right. time. Not the frost giants or stone giants this time. It's right. the demon men. They really love that word, Jotunheim. Yeah. Yeah. But this um, is funny. It's funny that he came up with this whole, I'll just be Don Blake forever. Because I think you and I suggested that to him like, you know, 58 episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And he's just now deciding that's a great idea. Like, took him a while. Yeah. The, the, being a Thor has been messing up his life. He doesn't need it. Get rid of no, it. No, he, he really doesn't. If like he's happy with Jane and whatever, but I like how page five they deserve being stone men for an hour. The fools, if they hadn't dug me up, I would have remained underneath the river forever. Just like Haha, those guys dug me up, they're stupid. Yeah, it's a cool reveal though. Like his hands just pop up and they turn to stone. That's kind of neat. Yes, that was cool. And every time I say comes to life, I like think of a of, of a line from the Frosty the Snowman cartoon. But um, <laughs> yeah. Where the policeman like chokes on his whistle. Anyways. Uh, um, Odin's yeah. so horrible. Why is Odin so horrible? Like, he's never cool, is he? He really, really isn't. His hat is amazing in this, like with those wings oh, going all the way yeah. back there. Yeah, it's like he, he outranks Thor because his wings are five times bigger. Maybe he's wearing that because he's mad at Thor. He's like, I'll put on my big <laughs> wing hat. <laughs> he thinks he's got a wing hat? Here's a w- real wing hat. So but it's he, like he's like being mean and throwing chicken and stuff at his chef just because he's mad at Thor. That's like very juvenile and not godly or all fathery to me. I don't know. Really, he's, really he, isn't. He's throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah. And Loki comes in to sympathize and, and here are Odin's words. I note and commend your loyalty, my second son. Though Thor has ever been my favored one, mayhap my judgment was false. I shall not forget your pledge, O godling who walks alone. My like, God. Yeah, second son, 
Thor's favorite. Great pep talk, Dad. It kind of makes you want to root for Loki, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Like, I'd be cool if Loki took over Asgard because they all deserve it, sort of. I did not expect Don to smack his cane and not be able to turn into Thor. That was unexpected. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of knew from the cover that this was not going to actually play out the way it teased, but that was a pretty cool twist to just yank his power right at the wrong moment. Well, I thought that it was going to all resolve at the end and the reveal was still going to stay there. Like they were going to work it out and she was going to find out he was Thor for real at the end. But no. Oh, no. I knew that. I just didn't feel like that could happen in 1964. But hey, it would have been awesome. Um, The mystery helper. I was like racing through the last few pages to see who that mystery helper was. I thought it was Odin. Yeah. That was Um, my guess. I was like, why is Hawkeye shooting an arrow? (laughs) (laughs) That can't Uh, be Hawkeye. So who is – I? I don't recognize this guy from comics or lore, this Honer, the hunter. We actually have seen him once before. Oh, we have. Okay. So in Journey into Mystery 106, in the Tale of Asgard backup, the day that Odin tried to kill Balder and nature kept coming to his aid, Mm -hmm. Honer was one of the warriors that Odin ordered to murder him. Okay. So it's just, I don't know if it's an actual name from the lore or if it's just a name that you know Stanley has used twice now, mm-hmm. um, but we have seen Honir the Hunter before. I assume his powers are that he's really good at hunting. I assume so as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is kind of weird. Like you could have just had Odin give him his powers back, but I do like the whole mysterious writer saves the day thing. That was kind of cool. Yeah, it kind of felt like the movie when all the when all the warriors are at the bottom of page nine. They're all like talking about. We all know that without his power, the Thunder God will be fair prey for any foe attacks, and we've got to go save our friend. Mm-hmm. Like, that was very, very Thor and um, Thor yeah. the Dark World. Yeah, I wish these guys would have got names or something. All we ever get is Balder, but... I, I'm going to assume that they're the Warriors 3 and Sif. Like, I know that, like, they don't look like them, but that's how I'm going to headcanon they are. Yeah, might as well be, right? Right, probably Balder, too. <laughs> well, Balder's got a but lame yeah, we do, horse. We, we do see Balder, like, he's the one we that we see. see. We see Balder and like Loki makes his horse sick or something, so he doesn't oh, get that's anywhere. Right. Anyway, but yeah, so I yeah, like this Honar guy. He's pretty cool. As we start in on the last month of the year, it's nice to have a fun start that's not like November was. This is, this is like the um, the Superman two Thor issue because like he wants to give up his powers for the girl, and then he gets attacked by something with powers and decides I better keep my powers. Mm-hmm. Never mind. Never mind. Status quo, Lois. Status quo. So, shall we go to another milestone in our great biographies in depth series? Yes. Tales of Asgard, Home of the Mighty Norse Gods, The Boyhood of Loki. A Stan Lee and Jack Kirby fabulous featurette, inked by Vince Coletta, lettered by Artie Simic. Um, so, there's like a wrestling match, there's like a tournament going on, and Thor and Loki are just like hanging up in the balcony watching it because they're kids. Mm hmm. And, um,. Thor's chanting, uh, ch- you know, ch- cheering on the the strong one, and and Loki does like a little magic that the Norn witch women taught him to change the tide of the battle, and one of the guys' weapon like shatters. My, I, I don't understand. My quarterstaff it just fell apart, and the uh, the referees like that must have been magic. <gasps> I see Loki and Thor- Loki up there now. He must have done it. Loki and Thor come down. And Thor's uh, Loki's like, we got to get out of here. And Thor's like, I don't run from anybody. I'm Thor. And they're like, Loki, why did you interfere with the tournament? You know the rules. And Thor's like, yo, 
I'm here too. If you're going to call out my brother, you got to call me out too because we're together because we're good brothers. And they're like, oh, you're the best brother ever. You must be the son of Odin. You're so great. In fact, um, we're not going to punish you because you're so honest. And Thor's like, fine, but also... No, he doesn't. He doesn't ask them to forgive. He 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 asks them for forgiveness for messing up their tournament, and then they leave. And Thor's like, Loki, you really shouldn't mess with the tournament. But you know what? It's over now. Let's go play with horses. And Loki's like, I kind of hate that every single thing that you do. I'm in the shadow. You're born to control. I have to serve, and I hate serving. Um, I want a horse that's faster. I want you know. He's just like envious and hating and full of spite against his brother. And that's the end. I love little Thor stories. Like, I wish these backups were more that all the time. Because we've had a few of them, and I always think they're cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest run was when he was trying to be worthy of lifting Mjolnir in the first place. That was a lot of little Thor stuff. Right. But that was fun. This is, this is cool. It's great to see him again. It really does got to suck to have a brother who is prettier and better at everything and beloved more by everyone, including your father, who even talks about it to your face. So it, is Loki Is Loki evil because the world made him evil? Well, you could say that about anybody, I guess, right? Right. Culture, culture versus genetics or whatever. But especially in his case, because he's not an Asgardian, he's a whatever he is. Um, I love the line that they carry on this story because – on the one hand, Thor is very cool here. He stands up for his brother and he's like, you know, if you're going to punish him, you have to punish me too. Even though he did it, I was standing right next to him. So he saves his butt. But at the same time, he is kind of marvelously obtuse about how insecure and messed up his little brother is. Because he also doesn't go out of his way to make him feel better about having the slower horse or, you know, being the cooler cooler guy. So it's like it's like Thor's not really helping by being cooler. But yeah. Yeah. He doesn't quite realize that, I think. Um, and honestly, Thor standing up for his brother doesn't really make that much logical sense. He's just being a martyr and they're eating it up. Yeah. Well, he doesn't – I don't – yeah. I, I liked it though. He doesn't like he stands up to him and he's just like, if you're going to punish him, you have to punish me too. And maybe he maybe he knew that they wouldn't because he's you know the favored son and all. But it is kind of weird that they're allowed to punish either son, really. Because mm-hmm. you know, they're both technically Odin's son. So why don't you lay off? You can't just have a – tar and feather session with him as much as you might want to yeah apparently they can though because loki is not the favorite he really really is not so we have some comments that have been sent in by gene hendrix gene mm-hmm. gene the podcasting machine he is our asgardian advisor being we should have asked him about squads. we should have asked him about honer oh yeah because hey, i don't know if that's real hey gene do you have anything else about honer the honer the hunter yeah We'll get we'll we'll get that in next door, I guess. Um, he says, like last issue, this is something that is not covered at all in the lore because it's Loki's backstory. This does give a nice reason why Loki is always looking for power and a way to outdo Thor. He's being treated here much like Lex Luthor was in the Superboy comic, where he lost his hair. If everyone treats a child like they're evil and not worthy of being there, then they will fall into acting that way. That doesn't excuse Loki's actions, but it does make them more understandable. The nobility of Thor is a purely comics invention, though. While the actual God of Thunder is honorable and will defend his friends and family, he's hardly what you would call noble. He's really more of a throw-hammer-first-ask-questions-later kind of god. I I can't see him acting like this when he's young. It's just a little too much like Baldur instead of Thor. 
Ah, yeah. Well, but Marvel's Thor is very noble. Well, th- I-, I agree. This very much feels like um, like Virgin Mary type stories. You know, like we gotta we gotta tell the tales of when Jesus was young, and oh my gosh, he was oh so perfect. Mm. And like you know, fitting fitting the narrative instead of actually being a believable story. Um, yeah. I don't find him very perfect, though, because I feel like he should be picking up on his brother's angst, and instead he just, like, beats him in the horse race, you know? Like, let the guy win once in a while or something. He does have the social skills of a dead thunder god. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, he's just not getting that. But, um, but yeah, so that is Journey into Mystery. Yeah. So we should move on to the next one, huh? That's me. Haha, ha, it's you. Yeah, but it's Daredevil. I kind of still find Daredevil to be a novelty on our show, so I look forward to reading his stuff. Even though, I have to say, Yellow Daredevil so far has not been super fun, but kind of fun, because he's still new. Um, There's a lot of words on the cover, so I'm going to skip that. I'm just going to go to The Man Without Fear. Learns for the first time what it means to be truly afraid when he is trapped by the Fellowship of Fear. Dun, dun, dun. Written with the fabulous... Flawlessly fantasy of Stan Lee, illustrated in the magnificently modern manner of our new artist Wally Wood, newish, lettered in the screamingly sophisticated style of Sam Rosen. It starts like I'm pretty sure every all six of these Daredevil stories have started with Daredevil patrolling, and he comes across what is seemingly a movie set. There's these people, and they're all filming this guy that looks a lot like the ox standing next to a person that looks a lot like the eel and the ox is like robbing a bank and actually ripping the bars off and everybody's just kind of like cool with it. Um, but Daredevil, because of his super senses, notices that like no normal actor could pull iron bars off of locked stores like that. And, um, you know, where's the police to divide off the city, the street? And it just seems like a weird, you know, paper mache version of a movie set. And, Anyway, they rob the bank in the movie and then they're walking away talking about how their the plan worked like the boss said, you know. They let us get away with it because they thought it was a movie. And, of course, Daredevil can hear this because he can hear whispers from 20 blocks away. So, he attacks them. Um, he bounces right off Ox but recovers pretty quick. Finds the eel really hard to grab. He's pretty much just kind of beaten on both of them but not quite winning when all of a sudden this third guy comes out and he's got like this purple costume and a blue skull face and a gun and that's the boss the boss's name is mr fear and mr fear shoots a bullet at uh daredevil daredevil dodges it turns out it's not a bullet though it's some sort of gas pellet and it emits this gas and suddenly um daredevil's really scared and gets backed into a corner, figures out how to leap over the wall and run away. Um, the police show up, and it's all reported what happened. So then on the news the next day, as Matt and Foggy and Karen are all in the office listening, it basically reports that Daredevil's a big chicken coward, just like Spider-Man used to be. Um, and, you know, Foggy and Karen are like, gosh, I just can't believe that, you know, Daredevil was really a coward, and of course Matt's like, well, I don't know, I really was though, and I can't figure out why, because he can't put two and two together for some reason. Meanwhile, it cuts to a wax museum, this guy, this owner, um, named Zoltan Drago, because, <laughs> you know, you pretty much have to own a wax museum if your name is Zoltan Drago, right? Um, 
he's got a wax museum of all these famous, you know, like Captain America, Electro, and Mysterio, like pretty much all the people that we've covered on the show are in wax form, but it's failing. So he thinks about this one night he was like really trying to create a some sort of awesome chemistry thing. I don't think he had a goal as to what, but he was trying to create something and a cat knocked over a mysterious po- portion of that uh, chemical something and suddenly there were these fumes and he was scared of the cat and he realized, hey, this is a fear thing. So I'm going to become a fear guy. And he developed this costume and called himself Mr. Fear. And then he was like, who should I recruit to help me? Probably not like Dr. Doom or Craven or Baron Zemo or something. I need lamer foes like <laughs> the eel from Strange Tales. He's lame. Or the ox. I mean, John likes the ox, but nobody else does. So I'm going to recruit those guys. And he uses his fear gas to somehow like convince them because they get too scared to not work with him or something like that. It's kind of weird. Something like but anyway, that, yeah. It's kind of weird. But anyway, they all are like kind of blackmailed into working with him. And they do the whole... Uh, now they want to get Daredevil. And I can't remember why. Just because they want to get Daredevil. So he introduces... His latest wax figure, which is Daredevil, with the theory that Daredevil would actually come to see his own wax figure. He has to. It's just like a rule. So back at the office, we have a lot of thought bubbles about how uh, Matt thinks Karen thinks that he's disabled. Matt also thinks that Foggy likes Karen and therefore he should stay out of it. And of course, Karen is in love with Matt. But Matt doesn't give her the time of day, so obviously doesn't love him back. And hey, that foggy guy is going to maybe ask me to marry him, so maybe I should just settle with that because I can't wait around for Matt forever. A lot of that soap opera. Um, But anyway, that's all interrupted when they figure out that there's a new Daredevil wax figure at the wax museum. Let's all go. So Karen and Foggy take their blind friend to go look at wax figures. Um, Which you're not allowed to touch. Which you're not allowed to touch. So he's having a real good time. And while he's not distracted by anything at all, because he has no business being there, he can smell the fear gas coming out of the closet, which is where Dr. F- or is it Dr. Fear or Mr. Fear? Mr. Fear. Mr. Fear and Ox and Eel are all hanging out in the closet waiting for Daredevil to show up. And he smells the gas. Also, the door is cracked and Foggy notices the Ox. And he's like, hey, I think that was one of those bad guys. But I'm not sure. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come back on my own and just check it out later because I'm a lawyer. Um, So meanwhile, Matt's thinking the same thing. He's like, I smell the fear gas. I'm going to come back as Daredevil because I'm a superhero. So Daredevil comes back at night, breaks in. He's walking past what looks like an eel and ox wax statue. But Daredevil has super senses and he knows that they have heartbeats and stuff and they're just trying to trick him. So it doesn't work. He flips them against each other. They get into this cool fight. Meanwhile, Foggy shows up to do his own investigating, and he walks in just as Mr. Fear is about to shoot Daredevil again. He pushes Mr. Fear to stop him, but Mr. Fear still gets his gas canister off and makes Daredevil scared. Daredevil kind of runs away again, but Foggy manages to rip uh, Mr. Fear's uh, face mask off and see who he really is. So Ox knocks out Foggy. They all run away. Uh, Daredevil recovers from the fear gas, sees that Foggy's unconscious. Is like, wow, when did he get here? How did he get here? I didn't know he was coming. I got to get him to the hospital. Uh, manages to find a cop to take him. They call Karen. She comes over. 
Matt shows up in a secret identity. It's like touch and go. He's got like a concussion and his heart rate is low. And um, Matt and Karen have thought bubbles again about how much they don't like each other but love each other. Matt pretends he wants to leave and go back to work. But really he turns to Daredevil and hangs outside the windowsill because he has this sneaking suspicion that Foggy's life might be in danger. He's not wrong. Because Mr. Fear, Ox, and the Eel all dress up as doctors to go kill Foggy because Foggy has seen Mr. Fear's face. Um, Daredevil's there, though, jumps through the window. They get into a big old fight. Um, Daredevil manages to turn the lights off, which we all know is advantageous for him. So he's really winning the fight. So Ox, like, gets them out of the hospital by busting through doors and through people, and they all run away. Foggy wakes up. Karen is happy. The, The bad guy team... Uh, goes back to the wax museum and start coming up with a new plan. But check this out. The Daredevil wax figure starts moving because it's really Daredevil. He was there the whole time. He attacks them. He manages to outsmart the fear pellet this time by standing next to a fan. <laughs> so the vapors like, you know, blow back. Right, right. Um, and then he gets into a fisticuff fight with the eel and the ox, um, ultimately overpowering all of them like he basically defeats the ox by having him run or accidentally like plow through a door and fall down some stairs and he defeats the eel by pouring some uh fire extinguisher dust on his slippery costume so he can give him a good solid punch mr fear is worthless without his gun so he just surrenders uh he ties them all up calls the cops goes back to the hospital they all say like you know i'm really glad you're alive um karen kind of chastises him for not being around to be with foggy but foggy's like no i know my friend he has no emotions that's what makes him a good lawyer or something like that and then the final panel is the news um re-reporting about the whole thing and how daredevil is not really a coward and everybody's like we knew it the end that ending almost feels like it's going to turn into like melodrama and then like hating matt because he's so cold-hearted uh-huh. that feels like just the sort of thing that would happen in this book uh-huh. but it doesn't I mean, it just no. like, blows it off yeah, it's interesting because Foggy's known Matt a long time, but he hasn't known him as Daredevil, so he's only recently become a flake, I imagine. Yeah. So, but I guess he's fine with it. Maybe he's always been a cold and unemotional person before Daredevil. I would not doubt it, honestly. I don't know why mm-hmm. that feels natural to me, but it does. Because we've read a lot of Daredevil and he comes off cold and emotionless, yeah. That's probably true. Totally emotionless, except for his heart. <laughs> Um, so this is not the ox's first rodeo. He no. gets into this story and he's, he's, he's ready to go. And I almost wonder if he like suggested the idea of doing the, uh, movie set. Cause if you think about it, he's done this gig before with Green, the enforcers with the, yeah, with Green Goblin. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. So that's funny. Like, what are we going to do to Lauren Daredevil? And I was like, I know we can, uh. We can make a movie. Tell me more about this movie. I don't know why it's, Ox is eating when he says that, but he is. It's kind of an interesting idea. Like, if you, as long as it looks like a movie being filmed, you can just get away with whatever. Mm-hmm. But the logistics seem a little weird to wrap my head around. But, like, they just walk away and nobody cares and it's a real bank. Nobody knows. Anyway. I guess. But, did yeah, you notice, kind of cool. Did you notice the sign, the MMMS wants you? No. Where does it say that? On the on page three, the first panel, Daredevil oh. punches Ox. Oh wow! No, I didn't notice that. Marvel has begun hyping their Merry Marvel Marching Society fan club. Mm-hmm. 
which you guys uh, ever heard that song? Yes, uh, I just relatively recently found out that it would go on to be the closing credits song in the Marvel superheroes cartoon. That part oh, yeah. I did not know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun, Mary Marvel. I like Mary Marvel, but I don't know how long it lasted or how successful it was. It was not very successful. I mean, it, it inspired other ideas, but it it died on the vine pretty quickly. Yeah. Very Marvel Marching Society. So what do we think of this whole, like, just, I don't know, just this team kind of just feels a little slapped together. Ox, it does. Eel, sure, why not, I guess, because they weren't being used anywhere. And we get it. We get an editor's note for the Ox that he was last seen in Spider-Man 14, but we don't get one for the Eel. Like, do they not want you to go read Strange Tales? Because, <laughs> hey, check it out. It's only going to have five more issues. Oh, uh, no. Refer to Strange Tales 117 on page seven. Oh. Because you know what's weird is he's like, oh, someone found my hidden place. Because now You're the right. eel just lives in the sewer. <laughs> That's how low he's become. He is a ninja turtle. He is a ninja turtle. <laughs> That's apparently how he rolls now in his full costume. Oh man! <laughs> you figure the slime on his costume is actually like waste? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> That's gross. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Mister Fear is lame too because like. I'm pretty sure he actually has no goal for this experimentation he's doing. Sooner or later, I'm going to find the right formula. For what? For what, Zoltan? What are you trying to accomplish? It doesn't say his goal. He's just, like, playing with it. I'm just playing with chemicals, and someday I'll be rich off it. Oh, no, he wants to to bring his wax figures to life. That's his goal. Oh, is that what he said? Yeah, if he can bring his wax figures to life, then the entire world will be at his feet. Oh, so he's trying to be the puppet master. He's been playing with this for years without success. Mm Mm-hmm. You would think that the idea of bringing wax figures to life would eventually seem impossible. Well, he maybe read the newspaper about Diablo and Puppet Master. Oh, you're right. He has inspiration. He has inspiration. Dragon Man and all those weird robotic puppets that are made out of meteor. But he has some interesting wax figures. He has a wax figure of the chameleon. (laughs) Which no one should know about, really. Right? Right. And he has one of Rama Tut. Also, no one should know about. Like, no one should even know that that guy is ex- like is even a thing. Right. And then he's got Owlman and Electro, who have shown up in Daredevil. Right. Mysterio, who was pretty public. Spider-Man, Cap, also public. I, I was sad that they were wax robots, because I turned the page and saw Cap and was like, oh, is he in this issue? I didn't know that. And then, nope. no. No, not really. I like that the wax Spider-Man can stick to the ceiling, too. Interesting. <laughs> It is that we get to the melodrama scene, and it is melodrama to oh the my max. God, they are really like covering all their bases with these thought bubbles. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, he's not pulling like I don't know if he did this in earlier issues, or if I'm just associating with him because of Scott Summers and Don Blake. But like in this, he's not using his blindness as an excuse to not confess his love. He just figures that being blind erases his chances because I guess it makes you less of a man. Um, the reason he gives for staying quiet right now is because he knows Foggy likes Karen. He's staying out of the way. Oh, he's doing both because he also says from the sound of her breathing, I know Karen is looking at me. She's pitying blind Matt Murdock, I suppose. Right. So, so he, kn- he figures she would never say yes. Yeah. And remember brain. the earliest issue, she wanted him to fix his eyes. Remember that was what kind of started it? Oh, yeah. And he was like, no, my eyes are fine, because he, of course, doesn't want to not be Daredevil, and that could change if his eyes got fixed somehow. But Right. But he also just realized, well, she wants him to be uh, different. 
not a really nice thing to say to somebody. Hey, you should, we should fix this blindness of yours. Like he's never looked right. into it, you know? I mean, I'm sure that uh, I, I say I'm sure. I would imagine that you know, there's a significant chunk of the blind population that would like to have their blindness cured. Yeah. But it also, it's also really weird to like pressure your employer into going to get his eyes fixed by this. Remember how it was like a random country doctor who like says they have a cure for blindness? It's just yeah. like. And it's just also really not up to her. You know what I mean? Like It's not. It's not like she's even his girlfriend yet. She's just some person that he's met. And she's like, you should really have that fixed. It's like, gee, thanks. Should I? Yeah. I don't know. Kind of weird. It's like that scene in Doctor Who. Are you commenting on my marriage? You're staff. (laughs) You're you're nothing but staff. And you were so not getting paid. (laughs) Um, Uh, And then they take Matt to a place that only is entertaining if you can see. Again. They do that a lot. They really like to do that with Matt. Poor Matt. Now, they're talking about how, wow, I guess some people still like Daredevil, even though he was totally humiliated this morning. Probably this wax museum had plans to bring in this Daredevil statue before the morning shenanigans happened. Also, this happened, the last issue with the Matador, was he was also humiliated. It's like, that's his new thing, to redeem his humiliation two issues in a row. And And they really turn on him fast. No, almost as fast as Spider-Man, but with, like, less cause. Mm-hmm. Which I think it won't be a thing. Like, I know Spider-Man will continue to be hated forever. I actually do think Daredevil becomes, like, the hero of his little Hell's Kitchen at some point. Right. At and some do- point. And doesn't have the, you know, hatred of the public. I think he actually is liked by most of them. Now, can we talk about the plan, Mr. Fear's, Mr. Fear's plan? It, it harkens back to the Wasp, in my opinion. Well, it's like... So there's a statue of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. So you figure that Daredevil is probably going to show up. Yeah. And then you figure that Daredevil is probably going to linger after the museum closes. And you figure that Daredevil is probably going to hang out in the museum after it closes in his Daredevil costume. <laughs> like, like that's your plan, right? He read Egghead's autobiography. Because <laughs> like, I'll get the wasp over here. Let's have a wasp museum. She won't be able to resist. Because there's wasps. And she'll come around at night and we'll capture her in a little glass cage. Yeah. And after um, after Daredevil fights them and he has Foggy, I think it's Foggy, because yeah, Foggy showed up. He's like, uh, what does he say? Did he follow me? Did he guess my identity? No, it can't be that. I would have sensed it. He yeah. still suspects nothing. Really, Matt? You would have sensed it. Maybe elevated elevated sweat glands or something i don't know what, how, what would you do to like he would just be acting weird around him maybe i don't know i guess i do not know how you're going to sense that foggy mysteriously knows your identity and i really want to be in a situation where somebody knows his identity and daredevil doesn't even know that he knows because you can't maybe, sense that maybe not sense literally but just sense that something would have been off about him if they were around each other you know like he could sense that he's feeling nervous or agitated or something, and he's felt nothing. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm just trying to get it to work. I do like that Ox and Eel assume he's just a guy who can see, and so they try and do the statue thing, and it totally doesn't work because he can't see, and he can totally sense that they're real people. Yeah, that's, that's fun. cute. He like he like catches up behind it where they have no idea he's even moving. Uh huh. Yeah, that was fun. Um, Ox is really talkative in this issue. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not talkative in the Enforcer's issues. No. He's like the silent but deadly type. He's, mm-hmm. he's I don't know, he's just opened his mouth here. Maybe maybe it's a social social anxiety thing. Maybe, like, the other two used to do the talking for him, and now that he's not with them. 
right? He has to hold his own in this team. So he figures talking. He's much stronger um, than I than I thought he was too. But he's kind of like that. Yeah, I, I imagine him as being you know like like not superhumanly strong, but pretty dang strong. Well, I mean, he ripped ripped bars off a bank. That's pretty strong. Yeah. And Daredevil like tossed his whole body at him, and he just bounced off him like a wall. So he's pretty tough, I guess. So any other thoughts before we go over to Dave? Um, not really. I mean, I think it was. Kind of fun, but kind of the same thing that we've been yeah, getting. Yeah, didn't really feel that like like it was a, it was a fine little issue, uh-huh. but not nothing really to say great or yay or whatever. I feel it's going to get better soon because Wally Wood is definitely making a difference. I think art wise, mm-hmm. it's looking better, and I don't know. The more we gear towards the Red Daredevil, probably the better. So Dave J David Weeder of Dave's Daredevil podcast. Um, he says that Daredevil 6 is easily the least memorable issue of the Yellow Period. Sadly, it may be the issue with the most promise, which makes it a bit sad in hindsight. The concept of the issue is great, but the execution is so mundane that it never reaches an exciting moment, and the whole thing can be summed up with, well, that happened. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know if the Matador was a whole lot better. Kind of felt the same. Like, he said at least memorable. Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like we, we we might remember the Matador more than this. Maybe that's true. I don't know. Yeah, it did seem like a weird team up, and I don't think we'll ever see Mister Fear again. Could be wrong, but Mister Fear is actually a name that I know sticks around for a while. Oh, uh, I don't know how often he gets used, but he was used in a modern story. Okay, like either Bendis or Brubaker used Mister Fear. Of course. I forget which one. Both of, who, was... both of who have written Daredevil with great success. Yes. Uh, I read through that run because at one point I had read a whole bunch of Daredevil, modern Daredevil. Yeah. And yeah. I, so, but it all kind of blends together in my brain at this point. Mm-hmm. All right. So that takes us to our third issue of the month of the episode. Yeah. Probably my favorite one. Let's see. Well, let's see. We got flipping through to the end of the Daredevil. Bloop, 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 bloop. Tales to Astonish, 65. Uh-huh. Another ma- fabulous Marvel first. Introducing the new Giant Man. Also, see the Incredible Hulk on a rampage behind the Iron Curtain. Okay. Um, speaking of the Hulk behind the Iron Curtain, I was watching the first Hulk episode of the Marvel Superhero Show tonight with my mm-hmm. son. Mm-hmm. Because we watched the first Cap one a couple nights ago and he mm-hmm. liked it. Yeah, because it's awesome. So we watched Cap one, and now we watched Hulk one, which adapts the first epi- the first issue of the Hulk, which granted is n- not nearly as good of a story as the first Cap story, but it calls the Iron Curtain the Steel Curtain. Interesting in the dialogue, and I don't know if that was just a mistake or what, or they're trying to dance around awkward things. I don't right. know. But this issue is presenting the new Giant Man. Produced by Marvel's newest creative team, Stan Lee writer, Bob Powell illustrator, inked by Don Heck, and lettered by Sherry Gale, hmm. which is a pseudonym for somebody that we have seen before, but I forget exactly what the pseudonym was. We're going to talk about Bob Powell in a few minutes because he's a he's a new illustrator on the book. Um, so Henry Pym is like doing some science on a new helmet he's made. And Janet walks in. And she's like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm doing science. And she's like, hello, I'm Janet. I want to talk to you. He's like, science woman. So she turns to the wasp and starts buzzing around his face. And he's like, oh, Jan, it's you. 
and uh, he's like, oh, sorry, I, I was I was caught up in my science. Let me hug you to make a normal size. She's like, oh, you learned your lesson from last issue. That's great. What are you working on? And he shows her a new helmet with a new power. And she's like, look, I've got a better idea. Why don't you um, take care of this cat? And he's like, oh, we have a cat now? Okay, great. So um, she leaves the cat to him. And, he, and before she leaves, she's like, you know what? Your costume is kind of ridiculous. So I'm going to go work on it because everyone makes fun of you behind your back. He's like, Jan, I'm a doctor, not a fashion model. Um, so she takes his costume and she goes working on it. He works on the helmet and tests it on the cat. Here's the helmet's new power. He can change the size of other objects. And he makes the cat really, really big. And then he pushes about to make the cat back to normal size again. Cat's like freaking out. So he makes himself really, really big. So that he can then make the cat really, really big and see if they can, like, be really big together. But then there's some shenanigans where he, like, makes himself small accidentally as he makes the cat big. And then the cat knocks the control out of his hand. And the cat's about to, like, eat his face. And he dives and manages to get the control just in time and turns the cat back to small. He's like, whew, that was a close one. I really should put, clean up all my science. I definitely wouldn't want my size-changing juice that powers my helmet to spill accidentally. So while he's saying that, the size changing juice that controls his helmet spills accidentally on a spider. And the spider's on the table, and the spider starts growing. Meanwhile, Janet Van Dyne is sewing up some costume. And she brings her costume out to um, to uh, Hank, and she like, puts cybernetics in the new uh, blue bits. And he's like, okay, I'll try it on. As While he's changing clothes, he hears in the next room a scream. He runs next door in his new giant man outfit, and he goes and grabs for his helmet because the spider is huge, and he needs his helmet to make the spider small again. But he can't get it because there's a spider in the way. And so Janet turns into uh, the wasp, and she's flying around using her um, air gun, Sting, to shoot at the spider. And it doesn't work at first, but then it does work. And she's able to distract the spider long enough for him to get his helmet. And he jumps forward. He can't quite get the helmet, but he changes himself super small as he jumps forward and runs into the spider's underbelly, grabs a, 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 a pencil and like tries to vault himself at the spider. But the spider shoots him with a web. And finally, long last, he grabs the helmet, makes himself big, makes the spider fall out the window it dies. He makes it small. And they're like, wow, that was an unexpectedly fun romp of an issue. But we're really tired. Let's snuggle and then go dancing. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Right? This is a great, 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 great Tales to Astonish story. I really liked this one. And here's the thing. I don't like this costume. And I was dreading getting to this issue because, oh my gosh, the ridiculous giant man costume. But it was a really fun story. And I think it's the combination of the blue shoulder pads and the uh, blue helmet together, I mm-hmm. think is too much. When Hank Pym is running out without the helmet and it's just the blue and red yes. suit, uh-huh. that, that looks pretty great. I agree. Yeah. I think it's... Um I know Bob Powell is the new illustrator, but this is all Don Hecky looking to me. Like he's, it does, really, it does. he's very heavy in his inks here. So, uh, bu- uh, side note with Bob Powell. Okay. Um, he has been in comics for basically as long as there have been comics. Um, he has early credits with Fiction House, Fox, Harvey, Quality, but he has two claims to fame. He co-wrote 
the debut of Blackhawk with Will Eisner. Mm. And he didn't have co-writing credit for a really long time. It's like the 90s. Okay. Um, and he penciled the original Mars Attacks bubblegum cards. You know oh. Mars Attacks, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. They, they made a movie about it in the 90s. Um, he penciled those. He eventually started working for Timely in 1943 with some Captain America comics. Number 34 was his first one. And he has worked less, but pretty steadily through the 1950s or various companies until taking a bit of a gap starting in 1962. Um, this is his first credit back. We're going to see his name a few more times as we move into 1965 and then through to the end. But then after that, he's going to be out of comics. His last credit is going to be Daredevil 11, and he's actually only alive for a couple more years after that. Well, that's great and all, but this looks like Don Heck to me still. <laughs> it does so, look pretty heckish. So he's either really loosely penciling this and Don had to go in and fix it, or Don is just a really aggressive inker, one of the two. Um and it just made me think, like, I think the last time I enjoyed Tales to Suspense or Tales to Astonish was when Don Heck was doing it. So, and it's also the story, but I do think, like, maybe 60% of it is just how Don can make these Ant-Man stories feel very, like, 50s ad mm -hmm. advertising or something. Like, like, it's a really good style for the Giant Man Wasp stuff because it kind of just has, like, a cool retro science feel to it. Or something. I don't know. It's a. It's just a facelift over what we've been getting. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I should look and see who was our artist previously on this series. It was uh, Artie's? I don't know. I can't remember. I'm looking up Atuma Strikes. That was Carl Burgos. Oh, well, the last couple have been him, yeah. But before that, it was... Um, oh, I can't remember. We're really bad at this, aren't we? Let's see. We are was, bad at our jobs. It was... Steve Ditko did one of them. Oh, really? Now walks the android. Uh, uh, Dick Ayers. Dick, Dick Ayers, Ayers took it over for a while. That, that's who I was trying to think of. Yes, Dick Ayers. So yeah. no offense to him because I actually like him in like Sergeant Fury and stuff, but I think this is just a much better. I think Don Heck and Ant-Man are kind of just an awesome gel. I don't know why, but they are. Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty great. I was just scrolling back to see when – Heck last did this series and it has been oh yeah a it was while. like remember the voice that one was really good I liked where you know he's hiding in the bushes covering his ears hoping he can't hear the voice because the voice is ordering him to come out and you know all right. that stuff was all that stuff was fun back when he was Ant Man um, but aside from that not just the art though because I want to give credit to the story I actually really loved their relationship in this story for mm -hmm. once for once it wasn't just Pim being a jerkhead and wasp crying like he actually holds her and is like intimate and they act like they've actually kissed and been boyfriend and girlfriend for a while and what's fun is like it opens with the exact same kind of behavior that got henry in trouble last issue mm -hmm. but he's learned how to apologize she yeah. calls him out and he's like oh you're right come out of my shell hey honey how are you i got caught up in things yeah i love that panel where she's like growing into him as he hugs her. That's just such uh, that, a cool. That's really cute. It's very cute. I don't know. Yeah, the helmet's ugly as heck. You're right. And uh, but I do like all the attention the costume got and the new powers got. Mm -hmm. um, I love that this issue doesn't have a villain. It's just him having shenanigans with his crazy fifties science fiction. You know, which which is great because sometimes Hank Pym's worst villain is his own self. <laughs> right, but it's also just like it wasn't a lot of a. Uh, 
over the top world taking desperation stuff. It was just kind of like a fun little laboratory romp. Mm-hmm. So no pressure, kind of lighthearted. I like how they have a cat now. They have a cat now. In fact, she kind of throws some snark at him. She's like, look, I've got a better idea, Hank. Why don't you let me watch a demonstration when you're ready? Because the cat and I hate long explanations. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> and so she goes and she works on the costume. And we actually get a whole page of her working on the costume. Uh-huh. Which I think cool. kind of, yeah, it kind of validates and like, like elevates the fact that she's worked. And it sort of presages her career as a fashion designer. Which is funny because we both think the costume's ugly as heck. So there she is talking about how great she is. But but that's other true. Than, She's other than working Iron, on her design sense. I mean, aside from Iron Man, have we had any focus on a costume like this before? No, no. no. So it's kind of neat. I guess Spider Man, like he occasionally like talks about. Okay, I got my belt. I got my my camera. Oh yeah, that's true. He did invent his costume. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this was this was kooky, but I really liked it, and it was unexpectedly fun. And I, you're right. I think when he's not wearing his helmet, this costume looks so much cooler. He looks like a Buck Rogers or something. Yeah, yeah. Just look look at all that stuff on the last page. What is that, page 12? Uh-huh. I would totally watch that guy's – read that guy's stories. Yeah, yeah. And and just because we complain about Wasp not doing a lot, she actually did – aside from making the costume, she saves him from the spider by figuring out to sting him in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And then she saves him from the web because he gets stuck in it himself and she figures out that she can sting him out of it. So she does some awesome stuff in this. He gets the majority of the action, but she is definitely a val- – like, like she – this would not work without her having been there. They didn't just have her be like a girl who's scared of spiders and runs in the closet, which they which easily – really could have been bad. <laughs> they easily could have done that with her. So I'm glad they did Jan, didn't. get in the closet. It's a giant spider. I can't handle it. Okay. So Hulk? Hulk. The Incredible Hulk on the Rampage Against the Reds. We haven't had a commie bastards issue in a while. Yeah. Uh, another smashing episode of the greatest continued cliffhanger in all of comicdom. Written by Stan Lee, our faithful writer. Drawn by Steve Ditko, our reliable artist. Inked by Dick Ayers, our dependable inker. Lettered by Sam Rosen, our other letterer. I guess other than Artie Simic. Okay. Right. So we left off with the Hulk fighting a bunch of humanoids. Um, I think that Bruce Banner had gone to an island with uh, Glenn Talbot because he was finally cleared for work again. And they were going to look at one of his new devices on this island. But then all these humanoids started attacking. And so Bruce Banner turned into the Hulk. And Glenn Talbot's like, where's Bruce Banner now? Here's the Hulk. Why are they always in the same place? I don't know. Um and the leader is watching all of this because he has a mental doodad that can see through the optics of the humanoids. And so he watches as the army's approaching. So he tells the humanoids to capture the Hulk. And the army throws a grenade, which breaks the ground under the Hulk. And since this is an island, the Hulk and the humanoids fall into the water. So the humanoids get instructions from the leader to just walk back to the leader's base. Hulk is swimming around, and because he's no longer getting uh, um, fought, he is underwater, though, and that kind of makes him freak out, so he turns back into Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner comes up to the surface, and look, there is a Soviet ship, and they find the famous American scientist, Dr. Banner, and they take him prisoner. So Glenn Talbot gets news that a Soviet sub has picked up Dr. Banner. He's like, I knew it. He is a spy. This proves it. 
So the leader is like, okay, you know what? The Hulk has green skin. He's super strong. I have green skin. I'm super smart. I get the feeling. I'm pretty sure now, after having thought about it for a while, probably the Hulk is also gamma powered. But I've got to find Dr. Banner because somehow he knows the Hulk's secret. So Dr. Banner is in a Soviet prison and the Soviet uh, uh, runner of the prison is like, yeah, you know, you're just going to work for us. If you don't work for us, you know, your life is going to suck. We're not going to force you to work for us. But if you don't, you know, bad things will happen. So um, they take Bruce Banner down into the prison. Uh, He sees an old scientist that he recognizes, Professor Strom, who is wandering around in a daze. There's this other guy who, like, wants to lead a revolt. Um, The the revolt goes badly, and Bruce Banner gets associated with it, so Bruce Banner gets put in a cell. Um, In the cell, he gets all freaked out and turns into the Hulk. The Hulk um, starts just, like, rampaging through the Soviet prison. At one point, he does his really awesome Hulk clap to uh, blast out a wall that this laser gun is shooting him through. He walks out of the prison, and this other runaway prisoner finds him and says, Hey, you and I got to stick together. In fact, let's go hide in this one place and eat some bread. He's like, (laughs) no more talk. Um, So then the leader of the prison, who's like, you know, well, crap, this didn't really go well for me at all. I'm going to go get this like like um, flamethrower thing and get an army and go after the Hulk and it's good we're gonna we're gonna destroy the Hulk it's gonna be great yep so it ended on a cliffhanger again I don't know about this continued cliffhanger thing like at first it was kind of cool because we're not used to having stories that continue mm-hmm. and we like stories that continue but this is continuing in a weird way like like, like it's starting to feel contrived not necessarily contrived but it feels like I don't know how to explain it, but say you have chapter one and it's kind of like splitting chapter one up into two parts, but then the end of chapter one merges into the beginning of chapter two and then that gets split. So like this one in particular felt very split because we start out with the leader, the end of the leader business, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden he's captured by Russians or, or Reds, which is a whole different story. And it's right in the middle of this story. So... I don't know. It seems like an odd placement in a way or something. It's, I don't know it's, how to explain it. No, it makes sense what you're saying. Like, they had to resolve the cliffhanger from the previous chapter, but it doesn't necessarily help with the story of the current chapter. Um, right. If you've ever, out there in listener land, if you've ever read the, the original Galactus trilogy, 48, 49, and 50, the Galactus trilogy doesn't actually start until about halfway through 48, mm. and it's done by about halfway through 50. Oh. Like they, it, it's it's about two issues and change worth of story spread out over three books, mm-hmm. and that's just kind of one of the weird aspects of Marvel continued stories is that like they do that they they wrap up one plot and start another plot in the same issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're especially doing it with the Hulk right now because it's like just this stream of conscious thing or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but I liked it. I just. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's weird. Well, I knew as as Banner was getting picked up by the Soviets, I was like, yeah, this isn't going to look bad for him at all. And of course, <laughs> right. Glenn Talbot's like, he must be a spy. Yeah, he really wants him to be a spy. And why does the leader keep changing the way he looks? It's He looks weird in this issue, doesn't he? Well, there's that one like full-on frontal face that like it's just it's just really weird. It looks like his face is this tiny little blob at the bottom of a, of a rectangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he got he got a weird haircut or something. 
So the scientist, the first one that Bruce Banner recognizes is Dr. Strom or Professor Ooh. Strom. Uh-huh. So in Amazing Spider-Man, uh, around issue 37, which is a Ditko Stanley issue, they bring in a character named Professor Mendelstrom, mm. which uh, there's nothing necessarily to connect these two, but it's a pretty unusual last name. So in my head, they're cousins. Okay. I really, wanna, to be. I really want to know what they did to this poor Professor Strom because apparently he's just like a vegetable now. Yeah, he's not having a good life. And he just stands there as an example of what happens if you don't do what they say, I guess. Mm-hmm. Kind of creepy. This one scene th- – I mentioned that we hadn't had a commie bastard story in a while. This one seemed both more grounded because it's like in a realistic prison kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But also like, like it not doesn't pull deal. any punches. Right. It's not – Oh, it's also kind of not a big deal because you sit there the whole time thinking, well, the Hulk can just destroy this base. Right. That's not a problem. And this is this the first time that Banner has said, I want to become the Hulk? Let's become <laughs> was, the Hulk now? I was thinking the same thing. Like, it was funny that he was in there going, how do I get out of this? Oh, yeah. Duh. And Maybe it happened in the original series once or twice, but this is the first time I think since the new series started. Yeah, because in the original, it was kind of muddled as to how it worked exactly, so... Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, he's literally in there in this hole going, how do I get out of this? Oh, I know. I could become agitated on purpose. And it worked. And I love the effect of the art on the bottom of that page. Because mm-hmm. Bruce Banner, like, you know, decides he's going to become the Hulk. And then we just, from the outside, poof. Yeah. Poof. I also, I also love that as Bruce Banner, he's already breaking the chain. Because he hasn't even turned green yet. But he's getting stronger. Oh, he's getting stronger. The change has started. Just change just starts breaking immediately that's pretty awesome and then that last panel comrades look it it's the hulk remember when the oh so feared gargoyle captured him <laughs> yeah i like the bread guy i don't know like like that harkens to me like to frankenstein or something mm-hmm. like come on in the blind guy to talk to frankenstein come on in and have some soup and here's it's a like, solve hulk need nothing i'm hulk please pass butter <laughs> <laughs> he does like to eat, doesn't he? Makes you wonder if he has to eat, but he certainly never passes yeah, up a meal. Um, and I wasn't sure if we had actually seen a hand clap before. Uh, I think we have. I think, okay. I think we did when, remember when Rick Jones controlled him, but then when he went to sleep, he didn't control him? Mm-hmm. I think that issue, he invaded a place that had like food and he hand clapped people, but I can't remember. Gotcha. That sounds. That sounds like it might have happened, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, this chapter felt very Hulk to me, like lots of lots of strong tropey Hulk vibes. Mm-hmm. And um, it has been a while since I have come out of a Tales to Astonish issue feeling good about the entire book. Yeah, this might be a contender for like best book this month. I mean, we have a lot to go, but yeah, it's up there this already. Is definitely a solid issue, better than Daredevil. Um, I would put it above Journey into Mystery, although Journey into Mystery was a fine story. I mean, mm-hmm. the the disappointment with the the Dawn revelation, but oh yeah, this this was this was strong comics. This was this was the strongest tonight, I think, which is just crazy because it's tales to astonish. So I'm also just astonished that it was so good. <laughs> I don't even care what the countdown is right now because I enjoyed it, but it's still also five, right? Something like that. Um, yeah, this is. I didn't write it down. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's not in sync with um, Strange Tales? It is in sync with Strange Tales, but oh. Strange Tales we haven't done this month's issue. So oh, this four. is fifth from the end. There are four oh, yeah. left. Yeah, four left. Okay. So he's going to have this He's gonna have this Giant Man issue for five months. 
this this new costume. Okay. And then it's going to go away. Yeah, I figured it didn't last long because I kind of don't recognize it, which means, you know, it's probably a, sh- a you know, quickie, but. Yeah, because whenever, when Tales to Astonish ends the Giant Man series, he also drops out of the Avengers at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing this issue up to that point, but then he's not wearing it later. He's wearing this costume. I keep saying the wrong word. Oh, he, does, he doesn't wear it in the next Avengers issue, apparently, at least not based on the cover. Oh. So that's interesting. I'm wondering about that because actually we didn't really talk about that. He has a new power. He can grow and shrink other things. So doesn't that make him ridiculously powerful? Kind of. He kind of has that power in the um, in the movies, though. He does. And I know he does in West Coast Avengers when he's just Hank Pym. He's constantly shrinking and growing things for them. But like you could attack any villain now and like, hey, Dr. Doom, you're an ant. I don't know. Pretty awesome. Or did he decide that it didn't work because he accidentally made a spider and a cat and it was a horrible experience for him. Maybe he'll never do it again. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out next time. Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. But that's it, right? That's three tonight in the bag. That's three all ready to go. And um, we haven't had any new Twitter followers since an hour and a half ago whenever I went through all the Twitter followers. <laughs> um, we do have homework, though, if we want to do that. We do have homework. What homework do we have? We have Sergeant Fury number 15, too small to fight, too young to die. Don't know what that means, but that's the caption. Oh, it looks like a bunch of little kids. That's sad. Tales of Suspense number 63 which has Iron Man fighting the Phantom, and if you've ever wanted to know how Captain America became an ordinary man doing ordinary things, you're going to find out the origin. <laughs> Avengers number 13 is the last one where he they fight at the castle of Count Nefaria. So those are the three. Sergeant Fury, Tales of Suspense, Avengers. All right. Um where can they find us? The, the, like the, the oh, website. Because we don't have any more likes. They can find us at uh, makearsmarvel.com where you can find all the links to all the things that play podcasts, hopefully. Um, we also have links to our social media for Facebook and Twitter. So you could like us there. We like to thank people who like us. So go ahead and like us if you want to be read on the air. And also if you want to be read on the air, you can mail us through the website or just going podcast at makearsmarvel.com. We like to read all the letters, unless you tell us not to. Um, critique or questions or answers or comments. It's all fun stuff. We love those. We do those mailbag episodes every once in a while. So send in your letters so we can have something to read. All right. And um, I can also be reached on Twitter. You can follow me at John Reads Comics. Uh, I am over there tweeting about comics that I read. Hence the name. I also have my other podcasty endeavors, All the Pouches and Image Comics Podcast, which is, as we are recording these December 1964 issues, I am recording the December 1993 issues. So, like, we're, like, in sync there in the year. I guess that's I guess that's 29 years apart. Wow. Um, and... Also, I am cooking a Transformers podcast that's coming out later this fall. That is at TFUK Podcast on Twitter. And finally, I do a tweet blog at Let's Talk Wanda on Twitter about my gal, the Scarlet Witch. So do please come check those out. And um, I guess, do we have anything else? Is that the end? That's the end. Well, if that's the end, then I can't wait until next time or until Foggy Nelson becomes Daredevil. Make ours marvel.